cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 12th of May 2009. Now, for those who are just coming in for the first time, you can look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, and you'll find lots and lots of talks I've given in the past where I try to give you a rundown through history to show you the bigger picture and to give you the little additions that are left out of the regular history books by those who write them. After all, the victors always write history. And we are we were conquered an awful, an awful long time ago in reality by those who ruled the world through commerce, etc. And they've made sure that their minions, the authorized minions, write our histories for us. They keep us in the belief that we're just evolving down through time. Um, happenstance, willy-nilly, as they say. And that... Uh, it's like a haphazard course zigzagging all over the place. Nothing is further from the truth because we're guided always by the elite from one generation into the next generation. They make sure that their generation will pick up, their, their, their offspring will pick up where they leave off. That's how you run the world, like a big business enterprise. So go into cuttingswithmatrix.com and you'll find out how it's done and the big foundations and organizations that are actively always engaged full-time towards this goal. Also look into Alan Watt Sentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks which you can download, print up, and pass around to your friends. They're written in the various languages of Europe. Now, for those who listen continuously, I appreciate the donations that come in. You can donate to me at the, through PayPal or personal check US and Canada at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or you can buy the books I have on the same site that keeps me going because expenses are always going up. As we all know, everything always goes up. I used to ask relatives, why does everything always go up every year? And then I realized it's because they, get up, they tend to look forward to a pay increase every year. And I thought, well, how come we're not better off than last year or 10 years ago if we're always getting pay increases? It's because everything goes up at the same time. That's all a big joke. And... As I say, you can keep me going by buying that which I have for sale or, or donating to me. For those who just get the discs burned by those with computers and pass around to those who don't, who play them on their DVDs or the CDs, you can write to me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, -E, Ontario, Canada, and the postal code is P as in Peter, 3, E as Elizabeth, P3E, 4N for Nora, 1. And as I said before, we're not zigzagging down through time at all. We've always been managed by those who ruled the economic system, and Karl Marx was quite right when he talked about that. It's interesting to see that coming to the fore more openly today, when even uh, Obama gives talks about perhaps hinting at the possibility of euthanasia for the elderly, he even brings his grandmother into it, saying that she got an operation 
on her hip when she broke it after, after being diagnosed with cancer. Then he goes into a spiel about how is it really worthwhile helping the elderly like that and spending so much money, especially, says, I think he said 80% of the health budget went on them. It's some fantastic exaggerated figure. And uh, he, he basically leaves you hanging. In other words, they're, they're talking about euthanasia. And Obama is the man. Bush came in playing the right-wing guy to set up the infrastructure for total power, observation, ID cards, uh, totalitarian control. And they send in Obama, who brings in the next part of the world socialist agenda. That's as simple as that. The Punch and Judy show. And it's, here's the music coming, so we'll be back with more on this topic after these messages. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, discussing the big, the big agenda that's always ongoing. It's on many levels, too, as it's ongoing. Regardless of the topic, there's people at the bottom working on the bottom all over again. That's called research. And then you have the ones in the middle who are a bit higher up CIA level and even higher spooks than that. And then they have the ones at the top. They have the real answers to real, real problems, including cancers and so on, all the rest of it. Stuff you'll never get at the bottom level. Because after all, we've been overloaded recently with Articles coming out from the World Health Organization and all the various non-governmental organizations and foundations talking about overpopulation. Why would they help you and make you live longer when they keep harping on about overpopulation? You see? And they're certainly on a roll now to talk, to do about, to, to put down the elderly. Remember, as I said before, a good UN citizen, according to the United Nations, a good world citizen, is someone who's a good producer and consumer, and you simply consume once you retire. That's how they see it. Plus, you might start taking back some of that money from the pension, and the government's got their eye on that. There's a lot of things they could do with it. That's the real world that we live in. We're managed like animals. In fact, they call us herds, and herd management, that's the terms they actually use now, officially, in some of their departments, like healthcare and to do with crisis, to do with um, plagues, etc., pandemics, herd management. That's official. Now, Lenin said that services would blossom in the Western world. Services, social services. Remember, socialism is the key to things. Socialism is not what most people think it is. It's, it's a planned, organized society. That's really what socialism is where the intelligentsia, the natural aristocracy, will rule the lives of every individual. That's what it's all about. And he said these services, like police service, would become authorities. Health services would become authorities. Children's aid, the charity, would become an authority. And we obey them by law. Well, how do you get socialism in? There's so many ways you can get it in, but you always get the masses to demand it, one way or another, because it, it's always presented to the masses as something for free or for them to do them, some sort of good. In Britain, one of the countries that, of Europe that's had so many centuries of being exploited by those who know how to do it very well, 
they came out with a national health service, I think back in the 50s, 1950s or so, followed by Canada. The one who brought it into Canada himself was a eugenicist, far-left socialist and Fabian. And he really believed in culling the population, but he brought in uh, socialized medicine. And initially, the socialized medicine, as in Britain, worked very, very well, initially. And then they came out with all the problems. In fact, in the 60s, the, the prime minister, and I got this from a very good inside source in the hospitals high up at that time, uh, phoned around the big hospitals telling them that when you start to create crisis in med, uh, medicine, Medicare, and they did we create one crisis after another to convince us it's all so pathetically uh, limited its applications for today and something has to change. But meanwhile, the taxpayers in all these countries where they brought socialized medicine came in, they built all these big hospitals. Now they privatized them. That's standard with left wing, right wing. The right wing comes in and um, or the right wing comes in, they build the hospitals, the right wing comes in, they privatize them. That's a, it's a game that's, that's done between the two. They did that with, with gas and everything else that you need for, for energy in Britain. And everyone knows in the U.S. Uh, that the, one of the most lucrative businesses, and Carol quickly talked about that in his book, Tragedy and Hope, is quite correct. He says, it's unfortunate that you don't get people in medicine that do have some altruistic tendencies in them. He said, unfortunately, since about the 40s, 50s onwards, he says the rising middle classes were so hungry to gain so much money, the wrong kind went in, and they're the top exploiters of the general public. And it's true. That is true. Incredible riches to be made in the medical field. After all, your life is on the line, and anything can be charged. However, they have some sort of modicum of, of different tiers of healthcare, etc. So you can at least pick something and mean you have some sort of control over it. When you have socialized medicine, you have no control over anything. You just go where you're told. You're, you're a number. In Canada, when you walk into the clinics here, they literally you get a card on the wall about three inches big. They don't give you the part to hang it around your neck, but they, they really should. It's so heavy, and. You get a card and you sit in your little chair with this card till your names, your number's called. That's, that's socialized medicine. You're treated like scum. See? And we saw it in the Soviet Union too, they call them factory clinics where you saw maybe 200 people lined up. They had the same thing in, in Britain. And the whole idea of it really is to make them into an authority. If you've noticed, after all the scares about pandemics and so on, it's the health authority, the health authority. It's not a service anymore, it's an authority. But they want the authority, to, you see, under a socialized system, they are a true authority and they can mandate inoculations. It's kind of hard to mandate it in a system where people still are paying, voluntarily paying, choosing to pay for their health care. So they must get it socialized. And here's an article here. It was sent around to a lot of medical staff in New York State, for instance, just, I think, last night. And it's the New York. This is from, I think, the Nurses Association, the SNA, Governmental Affairs Department. May 12th, it says, Action Alert, Lobby and Rally in Support of Single-Payer Universal Health Care. It's going to happen all over the U.S., by the way. 
because all the nursery unions have been told to take part in this, to lobby and rally in support of single-payer universal health care, Wednesday, May 27, 2009, in co- coordination with health care. Now we know Hillary Clinton is going to be in there too. It's the right time for it. You see Obama's in, Hillary's there, it's time to push it. Single-payer activists will be gathering all over the country to say health care, yes, insurance companies. No, they have no idea that there will be a government-appointed insurance company to deal with it. So it's a complete monopoly then. This is make health care a human right. Now, if they look into the United Nations Charter, they say that the guarantee, what they're guaranteeing, the United Nations World Health Organization, is that the basic minimal care will be available to everyone worldwide. Minimal care. You should look into what minimum means, because that's what's going to come out of this. But an awful lot of authority over you is going to come out of this too. It's a support state, uh, state Senate resolution in support of H.R. 676, the federal single-payer bill, urged New York state lawyers to adopt a single-player single health care for all programs. And then at the evening they have briefings for them and all the rest of it for the ones who are promoting the rally. Endorsed by Capital District Air Labor Federation, is your labor federations, Capital District Alliance for Universal Healthcare, Incorporated Faith and Hunger Network, Hunger Action Network, etc., etc. All the ones you'd expect to, to think this is a great thing. So that's what they're bringing in. So back to Lenin. Lenin said, we should start them off with services. They will become authorities. And if you go into the League of Nations, it's amazing how the League of Nations popped up at the same time as, as Lenin took over Russia, the Soviet Union. And this new world order that he called it was open for the first time to the public. And the League of Nations, which was the birth of the United Nations, really, it was the embryo or the egg for the United Nations, even then had a department for population control, a department for, for uh, medical uh, purposes, etc. And even then, they talked about minimalistic health care would be made available across the world to the general public. Nothing changes. Eh? But these guys never deviate from their agenda. Never deviate. And whenever you hear that term, the New World Order, it's the same New World Order. It doesn't matter if it was Lenin or George Bush Sr. mentioned it or, or anyone since, or even Mr. Mr. Um, Brown from Britain, the Prime Minister at the at the, the, the meeting with the, the top money boys. He called it the New World Order too. It's the same one they're all talking about. A controlled society. And you must have medicine at the top as well, along with law enforcement, to control society. Because they're the ones who will mandate, eventually, who can give birth to children who will not be allowed to. Um, they'll mandate inoculations. That was also what the League of Nations in 1917, 1918 said they'd do. It literally uh, inoculate for people for everything under the sun across the planet. They never change what's been planned. Never change it. Here's from World Net Daily. This is May the 2nd, 2009. DNA databases prelude to return of eugenics. Warning issued over full genomic scans on babies. An organization that has been battling Minnesota state procedures in which DNA from every newborn is collected and warehoused says virtually all states do the same thing. So that's okay then. See, that's how they do everything now. Or they're doing that in France, so it must be okay. That's what they do with everything they put through. Or they're doing that in Japan. 
so it must be all right. As if that's, that's, that's the validation for it. If they were cutting their heads off in China, should we do it too? It says, from every newborn's collected in a warehouse, virtually, it says, virtually all states do the same thing. And the alarming trend eventually could lead to the U.S. back into eugenics. It's already there. It's never left. The report from Twyla Brace, uh, president of the Citizens Council on Healthcare, says, throughout history, proponents of eugenics have focused on the reproduction of children, either through encouraging the healthy to reproduce or discouraging the unhealthy from procreation. This focus has been evidenced in history by 29 state sterilization laws and a horrific Nazi campaign aimed at ridding Germany of the unfit. And I'll be back with more on this article and this topic after this break. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Going through some of the articles I have about eugenics, etc. They're dead serious about it. They always have been serious, and I've gone through the history in past talks about the big foundations all being put up by boys who were eugenicists. They all believed in that. That was part of the reason, in fact, they came to the fore and started to fund lots and lots of non-governmental organizations. But come back to this article... It says, this is from World Net Daily, it says, uh, the focus has always been evidenced in history by 29 state sterilization laws and the horrific Nazi campaign aimed at ridding Germany of the unfit, which included the Jews, the physically deformed, the mentally retarded, the feeble-minded, the inferior, the epileptic, the deaf, the blind, those suffering from hereditary conditions. I'd add the gypsies too, they slaughtered a lot of them because they would not settle down and be part of the society, the deviant as a social and the politically dissident, which remember that the politically dissident. The report then continued that the focus on reproduction still exists today is more than troubling. The authors of a 2001 study were struck by the large number of state government officials who agreed with a specific statement regarding assessment of a child's suitability for future reproduction. The report said 54% of respondents who routinely provide counselling to mothers, mostly newborn uh, genetic screening follow-up staff at state health departments across the country, thought it important when giving advice to parents to identify children who might be, for genetic reasons, who might be, remember, unsuitable choices for future reproduction, the report said. So these are the counsellors that are put in place. The concept of identifying those who would be unsuitable for reproduction is enough reason for parents to be alarmed and people should start demanding fully informed consent requirements, Ray said. To protect every American's right to self-determination, genetic privacy and DNA property rights, it's time to require informed written parent consent for all facets of the newborn genetic screening program including storage and use of genetic test results and newborn DNA. Brace said, well, it's too late for that because they've been doing that for about 30 years. Because they're always way ahead of what the public finds out. Always way ahead. For instance, here's an example here. Here's Britain. It's amazing how things pop out at much the same time. The Mail Online by Suzanne Moore this article, if the guy who invented DNA fingerprinting is worried, we should all be. 
This is the 11th of May, 2009. How much information does the state need to have about me that I have not freely volunteered? I'd say it already knows a lot more than it needs to. But then, so does Tesco. I've been photographed, fingerprinted, and asked all sorts of odd questions without ever having been arrested, though it's come close. I have been CRB checked by my child's school. They have parents' backgrounds now. My blood was routinely tested for HIV and rubella when I was pregnant. The one little bit of me that they don't have is my DNA. Well, I'm sorry, but they do have it. I'll continue, but surely it's only a matter of time. Why should I, an innocent citizen, object to the state having my precious DNA on its database? What have I to fear? Am I against justice? As Harriet Harman ludicrously accused anyone with doubts about a centralized DNA database of being. As a politician who wants this centralized DNA database. If they please take a DNA sample, even if one is not charged, it can be kept for up to 12 years. This doesn't happen in other countries, not even Scotland. Their DNA can be taken only if you're arrested. If you're cleared, the profile is immediately destroyed unless you've been cleared of a violent or sexual offence, in which case the sample can be kept for up to five years. What Harmon, this is the, the politician in, in Parliament, is arguing for already contravenes EU legislation and we will simply end up with more test cases in the European courts. This alongside the unfeasibly daft voluntary ID cards being pushed on the poor people of Manchester by Jackie Smith is yet more evidence that governments increasingly regards most of us as potential criminals just hit the nail on the head rather than citizens who need serving. It's amazing how they come to the right conclusion that they really don't get it. They really don't get it. You can actually say something in a conversation almost like you're daydreaming, but you don't really get it. You know, and you can tell this reporter really doesn't get it. She's right. Because she has to include in there's a, a big, big agenda here. A bigger, a bigger agenda going on. Much bigger. Now, I've talked about this before. How the, the big foundations set up the big groups that we get, we get articles in the paper about the non-governmental organizations that tend to be incredibly wealthy. They're so heavily funded. They have the ear of all media. I've talked about transhumanism. That's all part of this genetic movement, you see, to, to create new, superior beings. And this article I'm, I'm going to read is from allbusiness.com. It's called, it's, an, it's called Immortality 2.0, a Silicon Valley insider looks at California's transhumanist movement. Everything starts in California and spreads out across the world like a fungi. This is by David Gellis, publication The Futurist. Futurist again, you see. January the 1st, 2009. This is page one, about, I think it's seven pages to it. It's worth reading, though, because it brings in Aldo Huxley, uh, Julian Huxley. In fact, that's where the name came from, transhumanism, was Julian Huxley, who talked about the massive cull of the population they'd have to do. And I can hear the music just coming in. And I'll go into this article afterwards because it's very, very interesting. It ties in with what I've been talking about in the last couple of articles. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
find how and what, and we're cutting through the matrix, going through genetics and so on, and how to most people, articles appear in the newspapers and it gets lost with all the data that there is thrown at them every day. Most of the data is 99% irrelevant, trivia, and little gossip things to keep you amazed and amused for a few minutes. But, but really, the, the real stuff is also programming you to think this is all quite natural. We're, we're evolving, you know. And these guys really believe in evolution. This character here, uh, this character, Salim Ismail, interesting name, Salim Ismail, gave a talk at this Silicon Valley transhumanist movement. And the public, it was published in The Futurist. They also have Futurists, of course, to help plan the future. It says, one afternoon in late 2007, a Yahoo executive named Salim Ishmael stepped up to a podium at company headquarters to talk about what some call the world's most dangerous idea. An intense man from India, Ismail faced a conference room packed with computer whizzes from the likes of Google and Apple and Intel and launched into a tirade about the far frontiers of digital technology and the big battle that lay ahead. Now, here is uh, something he's going to say straight out of the Middle Ages when it first came out, through the Rosicrucians, through the Cathars, and so on, about how humanity was left imperfect. It had to be perfected. And that's what Mace, all Masons say that, because they came out of that movement too, whether they knew it or not. And they say that their job was to perfect that which was left imperfect. The guys at the bottom of, of these organizations think they're talking about gaining virtue. It's far bigger than that. It says, the current system is flawed, he said, pacing the stage. He went on to talk about routers and interrupt systems, hardly exotic material to his audience, but even within this techie sanctum, his message was a bold one. The flawed system that Ismail lamented was not a computer network. It was the human brain. We need to design a better one, he said. Now, remember, we've already had all these wonderful movies chucked at us that we guzzled up, like artificial intelligence and so on, all preparing us predictive programming is called for this kind of article. Ismail's talk, this is the need to re-engineer the human brain, wasn't the most ambitious at the conference, a meeting of a local think tank called the Foreign Nanotech Institute at another panel, etc., etc. What they're going into, actually, what they go into is the fact that the human brain itself is imperfect and the only way to bring world peace, world peace is what they say, was to alter everyone's brains and put in chips, etc., to get peace. Because there's just too many unruly people in the world that, that are too individualistic, etc., and it's the individuals that cause all the problems. For whom? Well, for those that rule and those that would like to rule you. That's the problem. There's seven pages on this. I'll put the links up on my site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, after the show. Go through it and, and read what he says. And they really are on such an incredible role. Uh, what I'm trying to do is give you articles that can relate to each other to show you how it appears in newspapers and how subconsciously people will scan through the same stuff and never really take it in on a conscious level, but it's programming you to accept it, actually, on a subconscious level. You think it's all quite natural. About 10 years ago, it came out in articles in Canada after they told us, because it was exposed in Britain, that we were the guinea pigs for all the GM food and had been for 10 years because the Canadian government had made a secret deal with Monsanto and others uh, to test us as the guinea pigs. 
Um, they also mentioned that, of course, the good part would be they'd create vaccines. That's just to get the people who are now terrified and they say, oh, well, they're really trying to help us. That enough should shock us all that we want to create vaccines in the food without your consent, by the way. This article here, potato-based vaccine success comes too late. A, this is a, a pathetic story because, as I say, they, they were doing this 10 years ago. And even had articles on CBC and documentaries that they'd altered the potato and the banana and put some kind of new, made it grow some kind of vaccine in it. They said for export only, but I don't, I don't believe them. This is February 2005. This is... Uh, Genetically engineered potatoes containing a hepatitis B vaccine have successfully boosted immunity in their first human trials. But the newly published study missed a moving target. Drug developers are now abandoning their quest for vaccines containing staple foods like bananas, tomatoes, or potatoes. The hope was that the altered foods would provide a cheap source of vaccines that could be grown and administered in poorer countries without the need for costly refrigeration or needle injections. However, developers have changed tack to avoid any possible or possibility of vaccine-laden food straying into the shops or supermarkets, yeah, I'm sure. If this occurred, it could be unwittingly eaten by consumers with unpredictable results. Why is that? This is because you have to get the initial shots first, and these act like boosters. And if you haven't had your initial shots, it might have unpredictable results. But we're all safe now because they're going into other kinds of food and veggies, etc. Stuff that we don't eat to make it all safe. I guess only the, the deer and that will eat them. Who knows? But what is amazing is, too, is the funding that these people get. Incredible funding. It's how Your tax money is thrown at bankers. Your tax money is thrown at pharma companies. Uh, that your, your, your money is thrown by the billions, actually, that these characters were into the modified foods without the consent of any of the public. From the very beginning, the public weren't even told it was happening. We have no idea where our cash goes. We're never considered in any big decision. Never, ever, ever. All you hear at voting time is health care, uh, jobs and, and, and pensions. That's what they talk about. That's all they concentrate on. And when you go into this article, I'll put it on the site as well. There's one in the Wise Up journal on this very, very thing as well. The significance of the successfully developed GM food vaccine. And this is a string of new articles on vaccines contained in GM food have hit the media over the last few days. The articles talked about research being carried out to see if it would work. But that is exactly what it is. Research, as I said, it's all been done long ago, years ago. Current scientists on a lower level redoing the work that has been proven to work at an equivalent or higher level years ago. The new scientist article below, the one I've just read, reported in 2005 at Arizona State University's research, is called Research for that program. Researching was done from 2003, successfully created genetically engineered potatoes, containing a hepatitis B vaccine which caused human volunteers to produce large numbers of extra antibodies. The research shows that GM food can be used to pass genetic material to humans and cause changes in the human body. Well, see, that's the real reasons behind it, because there are other things they're after. Changes in the human body. Do you wonder why people are suddenly allergic to everything? Everything? 
You can't open up a newspaper in any country. Here's an article, Mail Online, right here. Right here. And this is from 11th of May, yesterday. From peanuts to shellfish, why are so many adults suddenly getting allergies? And it goes into the usual human interest story. I always give you that to start off. That's traditional journalism. When Edwina Galloway started to feel a strange knot in her throat after eating some peanuts, she tried to ease it by drinking tea. But within minutes, her throat was constricting and she was struggling to breathe. Husband brought bundled in her car, rushed her to the hospital. Fortunately, it was only a mile from their home in Seven Oaks, Kent. See, in Canada, you'd have to make an appointment and they'd have you on the books for about two months. Had it been much further, Edwina could have died. By the time I got there, I was shivering and shaking as my body was going into shock, said so Edwina, 48, who runs her own administration business. She was suffering from anaphylactic shock, an allergic reaction which causes puffy lips and eyes, other symptoms such as vomiting and breathing difficulties as the air passages swell. Untreated, it can prove fatal within minutes. Edwina was immediately given antihistamine, which eased her symptoms. She later went test, blah, blah, blah. And the results could not be more surprising. I was told I developed. She didn't have it before. She's in her 40s, 48 years old. I developed an allergy to peanuts and hazelnuts, she recall. Now, this is a common thing now. It's now normal. Something that was unheard of years ago. You didn't get asthma in your 30s and 40s. You didn't get suddenly develop the allergies like this on a mass scale at that age. It didn't happen before. Now it's normal. It says here, I was a real shocker as of no history of allergies in my family and I certainly never had an allergy before. She never was prone to allergies before. In fact, my husband is a vegetarian and so nut roast had been a staple of her diet. This allergy just came on out of the blue. I have to carry an adrenaline jab with me at all times in case I have a really bad reaction. Change your life, etc., etc. It says, yeah, it's not just children who are affected, people, adults or children. It says here, a report published last month found that the number of children with allergies had tripled, tripled in the past 10 years. Tripled to 40%. 40% of them have this now. In, in 10 years. In 10 years, 40% have allergies to everything. Why is that? What's changed in that time period? Well, the GM food came in then. Number one. Do you know the GM food went for everything that was a staple of your diet? That's why they went, that's really why they went for potatoes right off the bat. Common foods are used almost daily. Carrots, everything. Then they went on to the corn, etc. Do you know that even coffee was modified? Why would they modify coffee? In the papers, years ago, when they modified the coffee, it wasn't the growers who wanted to do it. It was the purchasers who have the cash, who are the bosses. They demanded that all the growers move to the modified shrubs and buy them, or they would not purchase their coffee. Why was it so important to make something that's drunk daily by most people, definitely in the U.S. and Canada? Why was that so important? When the, when, the, when the growers were not complaining, they were, their yields were fine. They weren't complaining about the money. It was a must-be, you see. Getting back to the article, it says, uh, 
so the charity Allergy UK says that increasingly middle-aged and older people are developing allergies for the first time, like a duenna that suddenly suffer a reaction to something that for decades did them no harm. Did them no harm. Interesting, eh? And here's another thing, too. I've talked about uh, the, the decreasing uh, sperm in males. And this is happening across the world. Uh, I've got a link on my site in the archives to the disappearing male video. you got to watch it. It's from the CBC Canada, the government TV station with all the data on it. Here's from Jerusalem. It's from Yahoo News. This was 11th yesterday. I, I actually called this um, Israeli sperm bank loses deposits because it's, it's close to the truth. Wall Street giants are not the only banks hit by diminishing assets. Now, research for, from a, an Israeli sperm bank shows that depositors are 40% less fertile than 10 years ago, just like that allergy one, 10 years ago. Eh? The Haaretz Daily reported scientists at Hadassah Hospital compared sperm taken from Israeli men between 2004 and 2008 with samples taken in the late 90s, 1990s and were alarmed by their findings. The more recent samples contain 40% fewer sperm cells than those taken 10 years before. 40% down. And I'll bet you any what's left is hardly motile at all. It's like moving around. That's what was in that disappearing male video. Now, then they're going to throw you off track by, by the, by the cause. It, it seems the cause of the change is an increased concentration of estrogen in the water supply, says Ronit Amos Kochman, who led the research. The soil is saturated with estrogen and fruit or vegetables grown in it are also contaminated. Haritz quoted her as saying. So anyway, uh, this, this sort of stuff is happening all across the planet at the same time. And isn't it amazing because it ties right in with what I said at the start, you know? Eugenics, depopulation, etc., etc. And everyone is getting sick with allergies. And we're getting sprayed like bugs again for the last 10 years solid. 1998 is when it, it uh, really started in earnest on a daily uh, routine flyovers and the heavy spraying. Could that possibly also have something to do with it? Could it? I wonder. Now, we'll, uh, we'll go to the callers now. And there's Amber from British Columbia. Again, is, is Amber there? Yeah, hello again, Alan. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, I, I called last night. Actually, I wanted to apologize for um, when I asked you how you were doing, you said uh, that you didn't have a really good weekend, and yeah. I just basically ignored what you said. <laughs> and uh, I was like, but most people do. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I have a problem. It's, it's my problem, like, living in the moment and listening, Yeah. Um, especially when I know I'm going to be on, you know, the air. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of maybe what what I should say or, you know, or what happened in the past or what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not a good way to live. It's something yeah. I'm working on is, like, living in the moment. So when I listen to it after, I'm like, oh, man, he had a bad weekend. <laughs> That's right. So I, I hope your next weekend is, like, a million times better. I hope so, too. And uh, I, I, I put, like, a message out in the universe, like, mm -hmm. um, that you should have, like, you should just, good things should happen to you because you do so much for people and you're so sweet. And um, well, I'm all for I, that. I just think you should have the best, <laughs> the best stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, but that. thanks for us for answering my question last night about the um, the chemtrail sample. 
Um, I was also wondering, I saw your um, video online about the, um, the rain um, after all the heavy spraying. Mm-hmm. The puddles, it was like yeah. there was like yellow puddles. Yeah. Uh-huh. Was that the kind of sample you took? Was it like a water sample, or what kind I, of? I took the samples um, that time too. Yeah, from the from the the water samples and the puddles, and uh, I mean this was not pollen. Number one, it was not pollen. It was way too early in the year. I mean there was no buds or even out in the trees then. There was still right. snow in some of the fields, and then comes this this yellow stuff, and. Um, you had these puddles everywhere. What was interesting, too, is, is when the stuff landed in the puddles, it would separate from the water and, and actually cling to itself around the edges very, very, very quickly. didn't like mixing with the water. Uh, right. whatever, whatever was mixed in the air uh, with the spray had to be, had to be a different chemical than water. But, um, uh, yeah, that came down here. And then I put an article up on uh, my site as well in the archives it was a, a regular television station in the U.S. Uh, where, where the same thing had happened in this, this part of this U.S. state. And uh, a man had taken the samples of this yellow stuff that came down. It was all over his truck and everything. Yeah. And it came up with the same thing. There was, there was even cadmium in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So was that the sample that you, that you brought in? Was it, was it from water? It was from water, yeah. Okay. I yeah. still have jars of it yet, um, and uh, even some of the stones that were left are covered in the yellow stuff. I collected some of them and kept them in jars, too. All right. Yeah. I'll let you get to your other callers then. Okay, thanks for calling. Bye. Bye now. And I'll be back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, just going through some of the realities behind the unrealities that are presented to us and the practical ways that they present them to us as well. And how they make light of things all the time, and very important changes in, in the people's physiology even, and biology, and then they make light of them, and then they divert you here and divert you there. And there's no, nowhere do you see the word crisis about it. It's just, just you know, 40% are just developing allergies. And the, the sperm count in the male is plummeting, just like that. And it's no big deal. Uh, last night I mentioned how the British system is a good system to study, to, to see how all systems really work. You see, Britain's had centuries of covering up uh, what happens at the top with their own group. They call it closing ranks. When someone's caught doing something awfully bad, uh, they close ranks to protect them, to preserve public confidence. That's what they say. Preserve the public confidence. The public knew what the people were like at the top. They'd have a breakdown, really. And they've had centuries of this. Some other countries, newer countries, are not quite as good and occasional scandals will break out. Other scandals are handed to the public for them to gloat over because uh, for, the, for those who help the utter, upper elite, they'll often throw somebody to the public to devour uh, just to say, see, we really are. We do, we do care. We like justice. But I mentioned about uh, this, this video. It, it, it was put out by Panorama, I think, and it's called The Gangster and the Pervert Peer. A peer is someone who is a hereditary lord. See, they inherit their title, landed peers of the realm, they call them. And 
uh, I, I was talking about how this, this shows you at the end of the, the, the show how the Home Office, now the Home Office is the highest sort of law in the land for the whole of the United Kingdom. That runs all the police, all the detectives, all the agencies. It's over, over all the intelligence services, over everything. And yet they were all told to back off, back off from the investigations. And they had all the dirty on these characters and what they were involved in. And they were lords, etc. And in bed, literally, literally in bed with gangsters. I mean that physically too. And little boys. But it's just one instance of how what I'm showing you really is not what they were up to. It's the fact that there's a higher power above parliament or government anywhere else at running the show. They can say, hey, to the rest of them, including the whole of parliament, back off, leave it. And they do. And they tell the police and the security services and MI6 and MI5 and all the rest of the secrets, back off. And they do. And they blank out the names for those uh, people still involved when you go in for access to public information, etc. Yeah, they'll bring out the staff, but they'll, 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 they'll black out the names, wipe them out of those who are still alive. And they actually said at the end that the public will never be known who all of them was involved in this one thing. This is just one thing until about 2050. That's reality of life. You see, the public are kept in Disneyland on everything, on every topic, on every level. And that's just a fact. And one last article I'd like to mention is how they do throw one of their own to the wolves. It's generally a woman that rises to the top, the male online. I hear the music coming, but I'll just mention this, this one. Have a look at it. This is Jackie Smith, the one who's done all she could for the Homeland Security, IDing people. Uh, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. They're going to throw her to the dogs, but they're going to keep her laws in the books because that's all she was in for. But now they're telling the public how she squandered their tax money and embezzled money galore on her accounts for three different homes. Yeah, they throw the lesser wolves. Never help these guys at the top. They will use you and throw you to the wolves. That's it for tonight. So from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God. All your gods go with you.